All right, so I, I'm now recording on my phone. Okay. Were you not recording on your phone before? No, I just threatened to. Oh. Are you recording, Matt? I've been recording since you said you were recording. AJ, have you started recording yet? I didn't because I thought you were full of shit, but no. I was full of shit. Only Matt believed me. What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Here she comes. In her this is We Both Podcast Together. The Hazards of Loving the Decemberists. I'm your host, Pete Wissinger. And I am your co-host, Matt Esner. And today we have a uh, very special guest. He's very special. Uh, to to you, the general public, you probably know him as the musical artist Sleeping Cranes. Oh no. But to me, he is my good friend and sometimes co-worker, AJ Ward. Welcome, AJ. Hi, y'all. Welcome to the pod. Thanks. I am real stoked to be here to talk about uh, the best Decemberists album. Uh, AJ, I don't know. I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but I would say you are probably the third most talked about person on the show. Okay. <laughs> you come up. You come up quite a bit, mostly uh, because of his opinions on this album. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I have a tendency to talk smack about this album. Okay. I mean, we should. Are, should we just dive into it? No, I'm absolutely really not. No, absolutely. No. Okay. Yeah. That's Dude, the last thing we want what? to do. <laughs> I, just, I just really want to hash this out. <laughs> for those of you listening for the first time, what we do here, it, wouldn't it be crazy if someone just randomly decided to listen to this episode of this podcast? <laughs> I think there's so a lot of really people who, who just start their December's journey with uh, The King is Dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a podcast where we go chronologically through the entire discography of the decemberists track by track each song track by track and sometimes we have insightful things to say sometimes we go deeply analytical into the lyrics and sometimes we can't think of anything to say about the song so i wonder what kind of episode this one's gonna be (laughs) okay (laughs) so aj since this is your first time on the show Uh matt and i have since this is your first time as a guest, have to give you our our standard guest questionnaire. Which we always give the same questions every time we have a new guest. Every time. It is totally. it is just what we do. Very cool. regimented questions that never change and we don't just make up on the spot. Actually Matt, I came yeah. up with a new one today. So you'll you'll just have to hear my, my new question. I'm very excited to hear it. <laughs> uh but I'll kick things off, uh AJ, by first okay. asking you uh, do you remember, like, your, like, how did you get into the Decemberists or your first exposure to the Decemberists? That's a great question, Pete. <laughs> well, obviously, Matt, this is, is what we always, one, this Pete? actually is what we always ask. <laughs> um, I was, I think it was 2009. Uh, so I'm pretty sure the Crane Wife had just come out. Mm-hmm. And I was living in Wyoming at the time. I was on my way to a concert for another couple bands in Denver because that is the closest place we could go that had any music worth seeing. And uh, the new friends that I was in the car with had, uh, I think, Yankee Bayonet came up on a mix CD that somebody had made. And uh, I really liked it, asked who it was, found out it was the Decemberists. Do you remember what bands you were going to go see? Um, it hasn't aged well. Uh, Brand New and Manchester Orchestra. Wow, I haven't, I haven't heard of either of those bands. 
that's probably for the best. Oh. Matt, did you know that AJ is himself a recording artist? Well, I after the introduction, I, I do, but I didn't before the introduction. Yeah, it's true. AJ, what kind of what kind of music do you play? Um, pretty pretty standard uh, indie folk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so he is our expert for this album for sure <laughs> we've we've been in need of someone with any sort of like serious <laughs> musical education or just knowledge <laughs> for or so long ability or uh literacy yeah right uh i am barely literate in all of those categories <laughs> but i'm happy to be here uh matt it's your turn to ask one of our stock questions yeah one of our stock questions that <laughs> we always uh remember um, okay, so what would you say uh, your current relationship with the band is? Are, are you still a Decemberists fan? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's... I, I listen... Whenever they come out with a new record, <clears throat> excuse me, I, uh, I give it a once-through. I do not listen to them routinely anymore. If they came... If they came to St. Louis to play a show, I would probably not go. So, I, yeah, I don't know. Like a sort of shruggy fan. Okay. Were you ever like, did you ever consider yourself like a, a big fan? Or, or was is this sort of where you were at historically with them? Um, I think it probably peaked a little bit more than this. I, I, we're talking about The King is Dead. I really, really love The King is Dead. And it did get me into Hazards of Love and The Crane Wife and Picaresque a little bit. But, um... The newer stuff just never really clicked outside of, honestly, the singles and I'll Be Your Girl. Have you ever seen the Decemberists live? I haven't. Okay. All right. Is that is that crucial for uh, the experiencing of them as a band? I wouldn't uh, say so. I wouldn't say it's crucial, but I would say that getting to know the band's personality live can maybe sometimes... It, I think it creates a deeper connection to the band than you would get by just listening to them recorded. Okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, I would say there, there's some bands where like when you see them live, it just makes them click. But I think the December assert, I think the albums are, are probably the best representation of who they are musically. Yeah. They're not like exceptional live musicians, but their shows are fun. Yeah. Okay. Have you guys ever been to a show that like just wasn't like fun or like? Yeah. You, you... Okay. <laughs> you want to expand a little bit? Or... Okay, so nope. I, I've got away, two Pete. examples of of shows I went to where I was like, "Wow, why am I here?" One of them was the Shins. I saw the Shins after their third album came out. What was that one called? Uh, I don't remember. It had Australia on it. Anyway, they just, like, stood there and played the songs. Mm-hmm. Like, they had no energy. They didn't do anything different. It, it sounded like the record. Yeah. And it was like, if I closed my eyes, I could have just been listening to the album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, to me, it's a bummer. Like, because when I go to a show, I either want to get some personality, feel some energy, or, or, or hear something new. Right? Yeah. Right. I'm with you. Um, and then the other band... Um, the, I've seen the new pornographers twice and the first time I saw them, they were really good. And the second time I saw them, they were boring as shit. Mm. Same kind of deal. Just like staying yeah. and playing. Yeah. Well, and it didn't help that Ockerville river was the opener on that second show and they were incredible. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I bet. What about you, AJ? 
Um, I'm not sure if you all have listened to them. They're a band called Slaughter Beach Dog. Uh, they, uh, a, a band I really like, like very, very good songwriting, uh, really cool songs. And I went to see them at Off-Broadway like a year ago. And exactly what Pete was saying about the shins, like two songs in and I was like, oh no, like I still have 30 <laughs> minutes of watching these four dudes stand still and play a song I could have just played at home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I feel like with folk shows, I'm a little bit more okay with someone just standing there singing. Like if it's like a, uh, you know, a solo singer songwriter kind of thing. Yeah. But I think that there's a level of intimacy there that I, mm-hmm. that I okay. can tap into, you know? Right. Yeah. Anybody for you, Matt? Um, the one time I saw Jason Isbell, like the songs themselves weren't necessarily better than just listening to the album. I would say his banter was like pretty good. Like his between that, songs. That stuff. goes a long way. Yeah. That, that really like sold me, but like musically, like I could have just been listening to the albums. Hmm. He seems like the kind of dude who would like really appreciate and strive for that like a really tight rehearsed musicianship mm-hmm. yeah. uh which like yeah i'm kind of with pete and it seems like what you're saying matt like at a live show i kind of want it loose i kind of want something different and it's for it to feel for it to feel live and not just like they're recreating what they already made yeah i'll tell you who has uh, loose shows is is nico case like her shows are just like she uh she just has this like really interesting energy live not not in a bad way but like she never like seems like she did too much rehearsing like they just, <laughs> yeah. the shows are just like super loose and uh i mean good but yeah they got kind of this giddy energy to them cool that's cool too yeah all right back to the questionnaire this is a new one from our this isn't this great is a departure yeah. from our normal battery i'm of excited questions. Uh, but if you could maybe like, uh, sort of help us calibrate where you were at when, with your musical tastes when you first got into the Decemberists, I mean, I know you mentioned those bands that you were going to go see, but like mm-hmm. what, what kind of music were you listening in 2009 whenever you first got into them? Um, honestly, pretty, if you went to the Decemberists Spotify related artists and just listed them off. I would probably be into all of those bands in 2009. Uh, Singer-songwriter, indie folk, indie... uh, That was very, very much what I was listening to at the time. Bonnie Vare, Death Cab for Cutie, Bright Eyes, Iron and Wine. Like, that was my... That was my cue zone in (laughs) in 2009. My musical taste cue zone. Excellent. I don't really have any other questionnaire questions. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we covered it. I've kind of exhausted with my notes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so is it time? Is it time to actually crack in? Let's let's start talking about the king is dead. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yes. so the king is dead. The uh, most commercially successful Decemberist album ever. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, this is the only December album ever to reach number one on the Billboard charts. Wow, I did not know that. And apparently, were... it went number one to the charts because, like, Amazon 
did a deal where you could get it for like $2 digitally. Uh, they used to do wow. these like digital deals on new releases to try and promote people buying music digitally on Amazon. Um, and a lot of people bought this record, I think, digitally Whoa. for next to nothing on Amazon. Yeah. Have I lost indie credibility now that I know that The King is Dead, my favorite Decemberist album, is the most popular Decemberist album. Uh, a little, yeah. Absolutely. A little bit, yeah, for sure you did. <laughs> yeah. I but, didn't uh, even realize till last night when I was listening to the record and looking at the album art that it was released by Capitol. Yeah, this right. is their third album on a major label. Now, what's funny is that if this had been their first album on a major label, people would have probably called them sellouts. That's probably a good point. But they saved this after they'd already proven with Hazards that we are still <laughs> a weird band. Still do whatever the hell we want. Right. I could be I could be mistaken, but I, I think wasn't one of the songs or maybe this album nominated for a Grammy? I feel like something on here was nominated for uh, a Grammy. If any of them, it would probably be Down by the Water. Yeah. I feel like that was the big single off the album. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little about the recording here. Uh, so this uh, came out in January of 2011. Um, so there's not too much of a break between Hazards and this album, right? Because Hazards of Love was 2009. Mm-hmm. This album was recorded in a barn in the middle of nowhere outside of Portland. On brand. Yeah. Uh, apparently this was like super rustic. I read an interview where Colin talked about having to like put on your rubber boots to go out to an outhouse to use the bathroom. Right. Well. Yeah. And, and they were, I think they were, I read an interview with Jenny and they said that they recorded it and she said they recorded it in May expecting the weather to be nice, but it ended up being like a really miserable, uh, spring that year and just like there was just like space heaters all over the place and yeah the outhouse and it was just like a super like rough i mean like Uh, comparatively speaking rough experience i don't have a whole lot of notes about the actual process that went into this album except for that you know this is this album is very different from anything the band has done not necessarily in sound because this is certainly like the most Americana album they'd put out, right? But folk and country sound are not necessarily new for the Decemberists. They'd just never done an entire album of it. Right. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about um, the sort of of backlash from Hazards? So it's funny, an interview uh, with Colin Malloy, someone asked him if, like, uh, you know, this was in response to like you know how overwrought hazards of love was and he's like you know it's funny when we put out hazards of love everyone said they really liked it and now people are like oh man hazards and he said it kind of felt like when you break up with a girlfriend and people are like oh i always hated her and you're like wait what (laughs) you guys always said you liked her yeah like i mean so i i think a lot of people sort of turned on them after hazards um, Are you saying that because it's the first bad review from Pitchfork? Well, I mean, not just that, but I mean, I think a, a lot of people just, like, were sort of over them. Um, and there's a really good article on the AV Club about, like, you know, bands being sort of um, having having a sort of a, a shorthand for, for being uncool. And for a while, like, the Decemberists were, like, the sort of poster child or, the I guess, the punching bag of, like, uncool indie bands who were sort of too uh too earnest for their own good 
Well, I think Colin said that after Hazards, he felt like they'd taken the whole weird concept narrative kind of thing as far as they could. And, like, there's nowhere to go from there in that direction. Mm-hmm. So he intentionally tried to go against all of his old instincts in the writing and production of this album. Hmm. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about the lineup for the for the album? Well, so just a couple more things. Uh, you know, he, this is kind of like their m- most accessible album, and I think he intentionally was trying to make something more reminiscent because when they've done folk before, uh, they've done some country western kind of stuff, but a lot of their folk influence is more British in nature. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I, I think the British folk is lost in this. Um, yeah, I mean, I probably deliberately, I think. Yeah. Apparently he said a lot of the songs started off sounding more like early R.E.M. I mean, Down by the Water still sounds like R.E.M. Yeah, I don't listen to a ton of R.E.M., so. But, I mean, like, if you transpose the melody for The One I Love by R.E.M. over Down by the Water, it basically will work. Uh, I think Colin mentioned in a, in a recent, um instagram interview or instagram uh story i suppose how uh basically um one of the songs was him just ripping off ripping <clears throat> him ripping off peter buck and then he, he got peter buck to play on it so it was he basically <laughs> like tricked peter buck into playing a, a peter buck song that's pretty awesome we've got the original decemberist lineup here colin chris funk jenny conley nate query and john moen um, but they've got some pretty notable guest musicians on the album. Like you mentioned, Peter Buck plays on three songs. Peter Buck of R.E.M. Of case, R.E.M. In case you, you weren't <laughs> right. uh Other big names, uh, Gillian Welch does, or is it Gillian? I think it's Gillian. Gillian Welch does some backing vocals. She does backing vocals on six, no, seven tracks on the album. Um, and her often collaborator, David Rawlings, is also doing backing vocals on a couple of those as well. Laura Veers is also on this. Laura Veers is on one of the songs. Um, Julian Welch is a pretty big name in the kind of like Americana scene, right? For sure. Yeah, so yeah, Laura Veers, she's, this is not her first time working with the Decemberists. Uh, she did the female part in Yankee Bayonet as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So yeah, there's also a violinist on a couple songs, and then the producer, Tucker Martin, apparently plays tambourine on Calamity's song. Nice. So he's finally getting getting in front of the mic. Well, and this is their third time working with Tucker Martin as a producer. Which other ones did he do? Uh, he produced the Crane Wife with Chris Walla, um, but then he also totally produced Hazards. Okay. Did you know that Chris Walla produced a couple December albums? I did not. Yeah. So, there you go. I feel like he was producing a lot of stuff in that, like, late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how prolific Death Cab was during that time. Anyway, uh, so let's talk about the album title, The King is Dead. Yeah, let's talk about it. So, Colin doesn't ever explain why it's called that, but a lot of people assume it is a reference to the Smiths album, The Queen is Dead. Mm. um, Because Colin Malloy is obviously a big Morrissey fan. Uh, the album art kind of sets you into that Americana farming in the woods sort of 
image. Yeah, I mean, I love the I love this album. I this album art. I would say uh, it's just I don't know. It's a it's a very cool like just silhouette of a forest with the sort of a logo of the band over it. Now, AJ, you've got the vinyl. Is there any more art in the like the lyrics and notes? Yeah, and the uh, when you open the the jacket, there's a bunch of what look like Polaroids. Um, it's pretty much just like Polaroids, the entire uh, middle of the jacket of them at the farm where they recorded the album. Wow! So even like the even the art directions kind of stripped down for this one. Yeah, for sure. Do you think Pete? Or Matt, like, is there any significance to you outside of the maybe relationship to the Smiths record for the title? I can't um, think of anything. I don't think it's a reference to any of the songs either. Yeah, I th- I don't know. Like listening to the lyrics, it seems like there's a lot of transition, season change, hmm. um, okay, stuff like that. So I wondered if the King is dead is kind of like um yeah just about uncertainty and growing out of uh a kind of difficulty i guess because it seems triumphant to say the king is dead power back to the people i guess sure but uh yeah it seems like a lot of the songs are people trying to like figure out how to navigate the world i maybe should also say that there are two music videos for songs on this album that we'll get to maybe when we talk about the songs. Yeah, that's that's possible. I like that you're kind of teasing. <laughs> maybe, teasing maybe we'll like talk about five minutes from now. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We'll see what happens. Guys, if you were thinking about turning off the episode now, <laughs> wait, we might talk about some music videos. So um, I guess we should maybe, let's, let's maybe talk a little broad strokes about general impressions of the album. Um, you you want to open with that? Sure. I think that we should, because here's the Let's, thing: when when I first heard this album, right, I was a big time Decemberist fan. Like they were yeah. my favorite band, and I really didn't know what to make of this album. Well, do you remember what the first single was? Wasn't it "Down by the Water"? It was "Down by the Water." Yeah. Um, so I think that like hearing this album for the f- first time, I was like, well, that was pleasant. What what are your what are your thoughts on like Americana as a genre? I generally listen to a lot of folk and I was excited to the idea that they were going to do a more stripped down acoustic album. What about you? Uh I mean on paper, yes. I was like <laughs> I mean I I listen to a decent amount of, you know, sort of Americana and, you know, alt country and, you know, like that end of the sort of folk spectrum, right. like um when I say a lot, I mean, like, I listen to, like, Nickel Creek and, you know, Chris mm. Teeley's side projects and all their stuff. So, anyway, like, I listen to an, an amount of Americana. So, on paper, this sounded like a a uh, match made in heaven for me. So, but, but what did you end up with your impression being of the album? Well, I remember not liking Down by the Water very much. Hmm. But that didn't really phase me because, like, I didn't really like the first single for the previous album. And I really love that album. So I was like, whatever, like, you know, maybe they're just not good at picking singles. Yeah, I think what struck me was that this album is almost entirely missing the quirky character that made me fall in love with the band. Like, this didn't sound like the Decemberists. 
not necessarily the the actual sound didn't necessarily bother me because they kind of morph their sound all the time but what was missing was that like uniqueness Mm. like this i felt like could have been an album by any band right yeah so if yeah if we're gonna get into it let's let's get into it like the reason i don't like this album as much as other december's albums is because it just doesn't feel like a december's album like it might as well be a cover album as as far as i'm concerned (laughs) i was gonna say i think that that's super fair and i think that probably my lack of familiarity with um, this like deep Decemberists discography probably primed me to be more open to this album because I didn't really have any preconceived notions about what you know I understood as the Decemberists I didn't have a relationship with like what kind of was characteristically them so when I I think they like they released like a YouTube video of them in the studio in the on the farm and uh like i remember watching the youtube video and it just has the first like minute of down by the water on it and as soon as that harmonica came in i was a thousand percent sold (laughs) i think this is the first december album with a harmonica yeah this is when colin started playing harmonica and uh to me it very much sounded like Neil Young in a way that I wasn't really a fan of. Here's what's interesting. Maybe this is Colin Malloy's rural Montana album. Maybe. Because I don't know if you know this, AJ, but that's where he's from. Yeah, there is a song about Montana on this album. Oh, well, there you go. Found through Google searches. Wow. <laughs> I think that if this is your first Decemberist album, I think I would have liked it a lot if I had just discovered this band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it is an almost entirely inoffensive album. Well, yeah. So here's something I'll say about the album is it's like, it's very pleasant. Like there's, I mean, with one exception that we'll get to, like there's no... <laughs> Ooh, I'm like, curious as to, because I've got a couple songs I don't care for either on it, so... Yeah, I mean, there's really no songs on here I would necessarily like skip because they annoy me. Like there's some I'd skip because uh-huh. they're kind of boring, but like there's like by and large, all the songs in this album are inoffensive. I've been listening to it a lot just in preparation for this episode. And like, I'll just, it's great to just leave on in the background and you don't have to pay a ton of attention to it. Yeah. And I'll like be listening to it and all of a sudden it'll just be over. And I'll be like, oh. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it moves. Another thing that's kind of interesting about the album, and I don't, I listened to it a few, a few times before this, but I'm pretty sure um, there's no organ in the whole album. I think you guys can, I mean, you can correct me if I, I'm I don't, wrong. Is but there think, accordion in it? There's a lot of accordion, but yeah. I think Jenny plays piano, and I think she plays electric piano, but I don't think there's any organ for the entirety of the album, hmm. which is like a I don't remember hearing any. big departure. Uh, she is credited as playing piano, organ, accordion, and Wurlitzer. So. All right. So huh. fuck me then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's certainly not prominent in the way that it is in any of the early stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the last album was very organ heavy. And I mean, even even Crane Wife has a some pretty some pretty uh, righteous organ cuts. So yeah, I mean, I think you know, I, you know, AJ, since you're a musician, you can probably lend some credibility to this notion. But like, I think sometimes musicians get new instruments and they just like playing them, and they're like, well, I'm just going to play this on this album because it's fun, and I, I just got it. Yeah. <laughs> For sure, it's like you know, new toys. It's like didn't Sting put out an album that's like lute music? 
I think Singh has put out a lot of albums that are just <laughs> loop music. Has he? Yeah. Oh. He actually has a really good Christmas album that's like all like medieval like folk songs and stuff. Whoa. Okay. Let's let's talk about these songs. Okay. So let's just go on and jump in. I think the Decemberists are really good at opening tracks for their albums and that this is no exception. So track one, Don't Carry It All. Right off the bat, you have harmonica. You have Colin saying, hey, everybody, look what I just got. (laughs) I really like this song a lot. It's really good. It's a very nice, you know, sort of folk rock song. Yeah, I think that, like, the the lyrics are pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that they follow... I mean, you guys were talking about accessibility for this album. I think they are... I think it's very clear from the beginning that this album is going to be not only more musically accessible, but more lyrically accessible than right. a lot of their other yeah. stuff. When Steve was on the show earlier, he mentioned the song. He referred to the lyrics as sort of like a, a lefty, socialist, communist utopia. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can hear that for sure. Because it's all about like helping each other out, right? We will bear yeah. our neighbor's burden within reason. Uh, yeah. we are all our hands in holders uh, you yeah. know it's just sort of like let's all get together on a farm and have a commune yeah I'm all about it love <laughs> it and again those melodies like the the melodies in this this track are phenomenal that chorus is super catchy mm-hmm. I think that it had the stomp that like that sort of stomp rhythm that it has before that was, you know, done to death 40 times over by all of the ensuing folk rock after. Oh, God. The t- that, like, 2010s. wave of hey, stomp, clap, indie folk. Yeah. Yep. Like Lumineers and yep. Edward Sharp and. Of Mice. Of Monsters and Men. And, I mean, that was, that was, the, that was a whole genre. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's used for Levi's commercials. I was I was totally into it at the time. So like sure. I'm as guilty as the next person for Would you guys love Mumford that. Mumford and Sons into that genre? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Also loved their first album. <laughs> Did you guys listen to any of their albums except for their first one? Who? Mumford and Sons. How many albums do they have? I don't know, probably a bunch <laughs> by now. But I've only yeah. ever listened to the first one. Like I just like I was really into that one and then just kind of was done. I listened to the second one, and it was basically the first album with songs yeah. that weren't quite as good. Yeah. And the, apparently I remember, they got really weird. <laughs> I remember the single for that second album was basically the exact same as the singles from their first album. They had a formula, and it worked for them. Like, it starts quiet, and then, like, the banjo comes in, and, the, you know, it's like the... It's a formula, yeah. for sure. Yeah. See, Colin, we shit on other bands too. It's not just it's not just you. <laughs> uh, anyway, so this song, you know, there's sort of references to farming and to seasons changing. I mean, he is really setting up this kind of like breezy pastoral album. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I think uh, is 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 this uh, Jillian Welch singing back up on this one? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, I will say that this album definitely benefits from having some really good guest backing vocalists. Yeah, I mean, really just like cool, tight, sort of uh, bluegrass kind of harmonies in the vocals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and their voices, I think, just like texturally really, really work together. Yeah. AJ, what do you think of Colin as a vocalist? Like, what do you think of his vocal style? I really, I mean, like, I, I guess trying to separate his voice from his melodies. Let, let me put uh, it this way. Would you be okay if he played uh, Hamilton in the musical Hamilton? <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, I feel like there's a limit to how much Decemberists I can listen to in a mm-hmm. sitting because of the nasal quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's definitely skilled and he's definitely talented. Um, and talking about the melodies again but i think that he makes i think that he maybe softens the sharpness of his voice a little bit with how pretty the things he writes are sure but like the lyrics on this song are entirely missing his like thesaurus rock that he got known for Mm -hmm. for sure which i think is i think makes like we talked about it's more accessible because of that and I personally find it easier to connect with as opposed to, um, you know, something that sort of feels like I'm reading a history book or a fantasy novel. Um, and I also think that it makes the times where he does get a little thesaurusy, or as the Pitchfork review for this album dubbed, library languagey um <laughs> it's it draws more attention to those and it feels a little more awkward like in the chorus and down by the water he says the summer swells anon uh and that's the only like kind of clunky part of that song to me well let's maybe move to the next song which is maybe the most sort of like uh obtuse lyric song yeah. on the album uh so matt what's track two calamity song uh, i'm excited to have aj to talk about this song because apparently this song was inspired by Infinite Jest, and AJ's the only person I know who's actually read Infinite Jest. Man, I was gonna try to get through this. I'm on a Decemberist podcast, and I did not also <laughs> want to drop an Infinite Jest reference. Dude, that was this was forced upon you, AJ. Uh, you cannot okay. help it. Okay. Now, how about this? Would you know, listening to this song, and not being told that this is an Infinite Jest reference, have gotten the Infinite Jest reference? I did, uh, because I just noticed it for the first time yesterday, um, because I was reading through the lyrics, and funnily enough, the line that is a reference, uh, I had always misheard, and I didn't hear the words right, and then I was reading through them as I listened, and it's, in the year of the chewable Ambien tab, which is really funny, um, But yeah, in Infinite Jest, the government starts uh, subsidized time so that years are not called by the number that they are anymore. They are 
sponsored by different products. So you have like the year of the trial size Dove Bar, the year of the Depend Adult undergarment. Um, and so I'm assuming that this line, the year of the chewable ambient tab is uh, a nod at David Foster Wallace. Sure. So this is sort of like a apocalyptic song. Very happy one. It is a happy one. It's kind of confusing. Which I'm assuming Infinite Jest is also kind of confusing. Well, yeah, that's definitely true. But th this has some more Colin Malloy old school lyrics. The Panamanian child stands at the Dowager Empress's side. Queen yeah. of Supply side Bonamy bone drab. Which I he mean, said in an interview is nonsense. Right, yeah. So he, he's kind of admitted that like a lot of the lyrics in this mean nothing. Which is so fascinating to me as a person who, like Colin Malloy is a person who it seems like spends so much time like crafting these stories to go from that to just like putting out this song that's like half nonsense, kind of about a dream of the end of the world and people are dying, major chords, the end. <laughs> well, <laughs> honestly, this is one of my favorite tracks on the album. Like, uh, just, This is I, one of my least favorite tracks on the album. I, I love the guitar hook. Uh, I love the it's chorus. Great. I don't know. It's just like so catchy and it feels, it to me, it feels like m the most like an old school December song. Hmm. Um. I think the but, lyrics are too nothing for it to feel like an old... Like, the fact that I feel like half the lyrics in the song are just him saying, awu, 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 girl. I don't know. Yeah, well, at least it's not la-da-da. It's is, not la-da-da this time. <laughs> but it might as well you. be. Right. <laughs> but no, and, and you know, we, we teased it earlier. We talked about it. We said we might be bringing it up, but this is one of the two songs on the record that has a music video. And the music video is a direct reference to Infinite Jest. Oh, really? I have not watched yeah, it. Yes. So the music video is like a tennis match. Oh, okay. And I guess there's a scene in Infinite Jest where there's some tennis match and wherever the ball hits, like, bombs drop or something. Yeah. Yes. So this is a reference to that. And do you know who directed it, Pete? No. Mike Sure. No shit. Of yeah, course he you're... did. Your your favorite uh, Decemberist fan. Should we talk again about when the Decemberists were on Parks and Rec? We haven't like brought it up for at least like one episode. A week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you think of this song, AJ? Uh, I'm kind of in. I'm in Matt's court on this one. Uh, it's really really catchy. Uh, I never really thought that hard about the lyrics to this one, uh, even in all the time that I've been listening to it. And it's just kind of fun. It's a fun song. But it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't fit in with the kind of like folk country thing they're doing with most of the album. I don't feel like it's really out of step, though, either. I think it feels, I think it has a lot of continuity with the rest of the songs. It's just a little more up-tempo. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just a little bland for me. I think that's right. super, super fair. Fair, fair enough. I think you're wrong, but uh, you're entitled <laughs> to your opinion. Yeah, so the chorus and the Andalusian tribes setting the lee of Nebraska alight till all that remains of the arms of the angels. So, like, that's nonsense, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's nonsense, but, you know, you have to remember, like, for me, most of what they say is nonsense. Like, I'm not really, <laughs> you know, registering what they're saying as as words for the most part. 
So I don't, I don't want to divert too off course before we talk about Rise to Me, but Matt, I am interested. It seems like the Decemberists really attract people who are um, invested in the lyrics that Colin Malloy writes, and it seems like that isn't the main sell for you. So what does like pull you into the Decemberists? Um, well, yeah, I mean, the music for the most part is what got me like, but I, I, I sort of have this like sense of where I can tell if the lyrics of a song I would agree or object to like basically like without actually understanding them. So I sort of, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not like some sort of mutant power or anything. It's just like, you know, I, 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 cut my teeth listening to they might be giants who just basically defy anyone to apply any sort of lyrical analysis to their music and so like because that was my primary diet of of pop music for a long time like mm-hmm. it it sort of like became this you know i realized that uh trying to understand what musicians are trying to say you know is it's it's completely arbitrary and it doesn't necessarily you know, add to my enjoyment of the music. Hmm. But at the same time, like I became aware of like, if I was paying attention to what they were saying, would I be embarrassed by this? And that's what, you know, led me to uh, stop listening to Cowboy Mouth and uh, (laughs) Dave Matthews Band and and, various (laughs) other bands who were like, for the longest time I was like kind of into, and then was like, oh, wait a second. If I actually stopped and paid attention. So the lyrics are more like, an intuitive experience for you rather than like a let's sit down and go over this right i mean they have to pass like a sort of smell test i suppose but like as long as i i know that they're not like inherently embarrassing i'm i'm totally uh okay with just giving them a pass okay so i want to talk real quick about this lyric about cowboy mouth the andalusian (laughs) tribes setting the so like andalusia is like an old name for like part of spain wow yeah so like He's imagining these Spaniards coming and, like, lighting up Nebraska. Yeah, apparently. Hey, man, it's the end of the world. Who knows? The Spaniards are coming after Nebraska. Look, what if, like, in this scenario, the apocalypse was brought on by, like, Pangaea reforming and, and, like, Mm. all the continents, like, came back together? That's stupid. Hey, (laughs) so are zombies, but there's a lot of movies about zombies, so. That's fair. Well, so, AJ, you mentioned Rise to me. And that is the next track. Indeed. To me, this is one of the best songs on the album. I think it's good. I'm not, like, wowed by it. Apparently to his son. Mm -hmm. Partially to his son. But yeah, it seems like it's about resolve and, like, wanting the people you love to show resolve in the face of chaos or difficulty. Which I think this song, specifically sitting in my dark apartment listening to it in the middle of quarantine in 2020 uh was the one that felt most like applicable to the moment that we're in from this album Uh, it's a very sweet song 
Yeah, yeah, that's the right word for it, I think. And uh, to me, this almost sounds like it could fit. I don't know about you, man. I think this song could fit on Castaways. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, it it certainly like has the the sort of pedal steel. Um, the pedal steel reminds me of a Castaways song yeah. for sure. What do you think of this song? I think it's fine. I mean, I, it's it's a song that Colin at least partially wrote for his son, so it's kind of a nice, you know. I'm sure he sings it to his son or at least did when he was writing it a lot. Uh, so it's, it's in that genre of songs that are kind of sweet because you know, it's like a dad writing a song to their kid. Um, this is Colin's favorite song on the album, which is maybe not surprising since it's written to his son. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah. To me, this kind of reminds me of almost like to go back, Matt, like a grace cathedral Hill style song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't think like, I guess my my only problem with the song is it's not super catchy. It's not like hooky or anything. Like it's just like a nice sort of like softy song. It's inoffensive yeah. in its sort of treacliness. Um, this is the kind of song though that was missing from Crane Wife. Mm-hmm. Crane Wife didn't have a lot of those sort of like earnest solo singer songwriter types of songs. Well, this is one of those. You know, this is a. Uh... I guess kind of a rarity in, in the December songs where like a song that has a, a kind of universality to it where it's like, you know, it, it could mean something uh, beyond what's what it's literally saying. You know, like I feel like they, they write in metaphors sometimes, but n- it's usually like never this sort of like generic like, you know, father daughter dance kind of. Uh, universality to it well but this is the kind of song that is the exemplifying like a total lack of like interesting unique character that is all over this album yeah I think so like that was one of my frustrations when I was listening to this song is like looking at the lyrics and it keeps saying like they'll rise to you you'll blow them down they will do this they will do this and there's never even like the slightest remotest indication of what they could be it seemed like almost an intentionally like completely wide open idea for the song and that uh is just kind of boring mm-hmm. yeah if he were telling his son to watch out for ghosts or pirates it would sound a lot more like a decemberist song. <laughs> <laughs> and it would probably be a better song i mean yeah like it's a sweet song i i'm I'm very happy that Colin <laughs> likes it. <laughs> I like it. I, I think it's really pretty. But you guys obviously don't have anything to say about it, which is maybe yeah. telling about the song. Yeah, I mean, like, it's bad said. It's like, it's fine. It's but cool. isn't, that's what we're going to say for this whole album. This is going to be yep. the worst episode of the show. <laughs> I think hmm. I'm actually, you guys are going to, like, talk me out of writing, uh, out of liking this album, I think. The more <laughs> I'm thinking about it, I feel like the less I'm liking it. Well, yeah. The yeah, thing but- is, I actually like this album. Like, I just, I think it's, like, the least interesting Decemberist album, but, like, it's still a really good album. Yeah. But, like, this could just be, you know, a Gillian Welch album. Mm-hmm. And the songs yeah. could be the exact same. Yeah, that's fair. But one one thing I would say, uh, moving on to track four, Rocks in the Box... <laughs> Uh, this song is kind of a return to form in, in as much as it's 
it's a little more interesting uh, than some of the other songs in the album. So this is apparently reference to an actual event. Oh, I didn't know that. According to Genius.com, the song is about the Granite Mountain Disaster of 1917 in Butte, Montana. Ooh. Which was a, a bunch of young miners that I guess, uh, I don't know, it's about some mining incident. Good. Good research. That's, all, that's, that's what I got. It says here, according to the note on Genius, uh, Colin Malloy talked in an interview. He said, I was reading a lot about the Butte miners. Uh, I had been fascinated in that era and uh, that place ever since college when I studied labor history. Uh, Butte is fascinating, particularly what happens in the span between 1910 and 1920. They basically go from being one of the most advanced progressive situations in the industrial world to it going all out the window when the bosses sold the company to amalgamated copper. All right. So this is about mining. Yeah. Rocks in the box. You know, I actually find this song kind of annoying, and I think I find it annoying because of the way rocks is spelled. Yeah, I can, I can get with you on that. <laughs> like, it's way too cutesy. Yeah, it's that kind of twee kind of thing. It's like yeah. totally unnecessary. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it would make a good tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> then why don't you get that tattoo, Matt? Maybe I will. Maybe you will. Right on the middle of the forearm. When we when we have a thousand subscribers, then I'll get it. But okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. What do you guys think of this song? Uh again, this one the lyrics don't really do much for me. It seems like uh yeah, a little more uh classic Decemberists, but the music on this song is so good. That guitar lick at the beginning is that has like the fiddle over the top of it is so so catchy the solo on the song is wonderful and it like even if the lyrics to me are kind of boring like it completely salvages the song it feels like a very old school song yeah yeah well i i like the the fiddle the fiddle violin or the fiddle uh, accordion combo there's like mm, a little mm-hmm. there's a little like fiddle accordion duet in the middle of the song yeah. Pete, did you mention who who's playing fiddle on this album? Uh, the musician's name is Annalisa Tornfelt. Okay. Yeah. Was that this? That's not the same one from Crane Wife, is it? No, I don't think okay. so. Good. But I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this is like the lyrics are kind of about mining, and being mm-hmm. told to get, like get to work, right? Yeah. Get those yeah. rocks in the box. Yeah. But but like this kind of sounds closest i think on the album to like a traditional american folk tune mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i think like as we go along uh talking about the way the songs like feel and sound i think that that is one of the things that i like about this album as a whole and is kind of encapsulated in rocks in the box is that a lot of it feels very familiar but not like it's copying off of necessarily anything uh there is an a, like lots of elements of traditional but it still feels really creative um and i think that that is like a weird a surprising sweet spot for a band to hit to be able to make something that feels familiar feels 
kind of comforting in its familiarity, but is not just a straight ripoff of like the Americana that they listened to. I could also be talking out my ass because no, I don't really know good. much yeah, music yeah, history, yeah, you're, but you're right on the they do um, tend to wear their references on their on their sleeves, like yeah. Um, but outside of like down by the water, uh, I don't think there is much that. I can really point to and be like, oh, like they just took that from them or they just took that from them. Like it all feels organic and it feels new uh, while it's also kind of like entrenched in this folk tradition, Americana tradition. Was uh, was Americana and, and folk music part of your um, sort of musical education, like in primary school at all? Was that something you guys talked about? No. I <laughs> I remember uh, a song about the Panama Canal that we had to sing when I was in like second grade in music class. What about uh, but that's pretty Erie much Canal. Do you guys remember anything about the Erie Canal, or like Oh Susanna, or any of like the Stephen Foster? Sort okay, of? yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, some of those. So I'm just wondering if like, like, because that was definitely something that you know was part of the curriculum in my grade school. So like, you know, there's a sort of deep rooted. Uh, okay. Uh, connection to folk music as part of you know grade school music class you know we would sing you know I had very little music education in grade school so yeah well it shows okay Uh, well one other thing I'll say is that this is maybe the second song on the album with sort of like uh, socialist themes like don't carry it all is like hey let's all live in a commune this is like bosses suck and workers deserve to be treated better Right? So, like, I think Colin's letting his politics come out here. He's also talking about this culture of, like, the workers don't really treat each other very well, either. That's fair. You know, it's kind of that, it seems like, kind of that, uh, like, hard labor masculinity of, like, yeah, if you're counting too long, you're gonna be on the wrong side of the lead, and uh, you're pretty much done after that, so... Good luck. Don't be a jackass. There's plenty of men to die. You don't jump your turn. Yeah, which <laughs> is a is kind of a kind of a badass line, but yeah, uh, yeah. So we move on. Yeah, let's move on. All right, track five is the first of two hymns on the album, as they're called, both named after months. So the first one we have here is January hymn. Man, I will say the two hymns on this album to me are like the highlights of the album. Yeah, yeah, they're both really, really good. <laughs> yeah. So this one is, I think, is this just Colin? Is there anyone else on this song? I think there's some backing vocals. So January hymn here is just kind of like a sweet little solo acoustic song of him like talking about growing up in the winter, right? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I think this is where the organ is on the on the album. Mm, mm-hmm. On that, uh, what words you meant to say before I left? I think there's a little bit in there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, I don't really listen to lyrics, but, like, I did sort of, like, catch one of the, some of the lyrics in this one. I I just think it's, like, it's really sort of, like, sweet and simple and, like, specific uh, in, in, like, sort of the opposite that uh, rise to me is sort of, like, broad and, like, 
you know, it, it's it's <clears throat> trying too hard to be kind of treacly. Whereas this one like manages to do to like capture that sort of emotion and capture that sort of like sweetness with with the sort of specificity of of just like a you know a simple a simple life or a simple like pleasure and and you know this the normal everyday life of of the winter yeah i think it's a really good observation i kind of wish you would have just done a 12 track album of all the months of the year and just made a little folk song about each month (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like yeah and like the one about February would be like Valentine's Day is really cool unless you're all alone. <laughs> and then like the December one would be like it's Christmas time. Matt, Christmas, why, why aren't you, why aren't you doing this, Matt? I mean, it sounds yeah. like you got this done. Yeah. Like, but here's another song that I really love. I love listening to it. I would put it on a playlist. But like, it's also pretty. Just like, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, if you were trying to get someone in the Decemberists, would you play this to them? Uh, if I am doing like, well, okay, that's a great question. I don't, I don't think there's enough attention-grabbing uniqueness on this song to put it on like my primer. Mm-hmm. If I was making a, if I was making a, a two, a two LP, a double LP, mm-hmm. this would make it. This would make it into the second, tra- second uh, disc. Well, because if I'm thinking about this song as this slow, pretty acoustic song, it's like, yeah, this is great. Is it as good as, like, Red Right Ankle? Probably not. Like, their earlier songs just had character that these songs kind of lack. Mm-hmm. I think that this song in particular does have something that I get, I don't get from the Decemberists a lot, which is, like, kind of an immediate emotional reaction. I think that a lot of the time the emotional reaction I have is kind of filtered through my head and my like listening to the lyrics and it is such heady writing that Colin Malloy does but there is like this song in particular that chorus uh yeah it just is like the melody of the words is just like a very immediate kind of gut punch take you to your own memories kind of kind of moment and i really like that about this song and i don't think that there are a lot of moments like that on this album anyway it's a nice song it's a very nice song yeah it's kind of wild that like maybe the the best song we have gotten to so far i think we have had the least to say about right yeah it's just like solid americana you know yeah i mean there's not always a lot to say about it except that like that's a really pretty song and I would listen to that song anytime. Yep. Yeah. Which I could not say about the next song. <laughs> What's the next song, Matt? Down by the water. See this ancient river back. What do you think of Down by the Water, Matt? I think it's fine. It's, I mean, it's, it's not my least favorite track on the album for sure. I just like, it's just, I don't know. It's just okay. And again, this is, I think I'm not a huge Neil Young fan. Uh, really, really just because of my own ignorance about his music, but, um, it it reminds me of the things about Neil Young. I don't like Hmm. AJ. What are your general impressions here? Uh, I mean, this was like the first, 
Decemberist song that I heard as like a new fan of the Decemberists. Okay. And I think, like I said, like the first time I heard it, hear that like isolated drum part at the beginning, the harmonica comes in, I was sold immediately. Chorus is super hooky, super catchy. I mean, the the melodies in the whole song are really good. I guess it's about uh, like maritime Portland. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they love their maritime motifs as a band, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think I think I saw in the genius rundown of the lyrics that the feeling around for fingers to get in between line uh, could also be a nod to people would walk, or like workers would walk along the river to find barges to tie off on the side. And those were like colloquially termed fingers, which I thought was an interesting, like characteristically Colin Malloy, very deep, specific, no one in their right mind except for him would know that reference. Yeah, I mean, to me, this song works so well as a single. Yeah. Um, you know, this, if we think, if I'm thinking about like past albums, this is like this album's O Valencia. It is like a song that they can just bust out at a show and people will be happy to hear because it's like energetic and it's catchy. Um, I, I don't know. I'm into it. It's also the one that they were nominated for a Grammy for. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Uh, definitely heavy harmonica use here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, love the harmonica. I really love the line, knock me down, tear me up, I would bear it all broken just to fill my cup. That's a great line. For sure. Yeah. So. Do you, do you want to know what else was nominated uh, in the same category? Uh, so was this nominated for, like, Best Americana Song? Best Rock Song. Interesting. Of course. Yeah. Also, Best Rock Performance, which I don't know what the difference Grammy, is. Grammy categories make no fucking sense. They don't make any sense. Yeah, I don't Anyway, understand. what else is nominated this year? Uh, so, actually, I think it's the same. It appears to be the same lineup for both uh, both awards. <laughs> right, The yeah. Best Rock Performance and Best Rock Song. So, it's Walk by the Foo Fighters. Uh, Every Teardrop is a Waterfall by Coldplay. The Whoa. Cave by Mumford & Sons. And... Lotus Flower by Radiohead. Well, the Grammys just really struggles to, like, stay relevant, don't they? Yeah, and uh, the Foo Fighters ended up winning. Sure. Do you guys actually know any big Foo Fighters fans? Yeah. Yeah, which I don't understand. I, I don't no know idea. any. Like, it is, like, the most, like, generic music. Like, I don't, I don't understand how anyone could get excited about the Foo Fighters. Like, I'm sure they're fine. I mean, but every song of theirs I've heard is just, like, it might as well be like you know Muzak. It might as well be like elevator <laughs> music because it has no. It just has nothing, nothing going for it. I cannot name a Foo Fighters song. Uh, Learning to Fly is that the one that David Letterman really liked the Foo Fighters and like it was kind of a big deal like for him for some reason. And I think like they played the last Letterman show, I think. Hmm. And and I what what's I think that I think it's yeah. Learning to Fly that was his yeah. favorite song and it's just like. What is what are you what are you grabbing onto on the song? It's just like I don't know the daddiest of dad rock. <laughs> don't knock dad rock. Dave Grohl seems like a nice guy though. I mean, I have nothing bad to say about Dave Grohl. I just think his music's kind of boring. 
I mean, I feel like all of those criticisms of the Foo Fighters could also be applied to The King is Dead. Like, sort of boring <laughs> dad rock. I, I, I think maybe one of my things here is I wish that they had... I wish that all of the songs super committed to the, like, folk country vibe. And I think this song does it really well. Yeah. But this song sounds like something that you would hear at, like, a folk festival right yeah yeah it's a crowd pleaser should we move on i think we should let's do it next up all arise baby wants a new spin baby wants a broken heart what what what, what we got on this one guys this is my favorite track on the whole album I was wondering if this was one of the ones that you specifically disliked. Uh, this is one that I specifically dislike. I love this song. What do you think, AJ? So, this song I've had an interesting, maybe not interesting, but a weird relationship with. Um, I absolutely, I found it unlistenable. When the album first came out, I absolutely detested it. It felt so, like, unabashedly, like, honky-tonk, twang, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, that even just those first, that first fiddle line at the beginning was like, yep. it would, I would cringe at it, uh, I but so much. as time went on and as I kind of grew older and embraced that, that was my roots anyway. Um, and that it's okay to like country music. Um, I really, really came to like this song. It does feel like I'm at a barn dance, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I get down with that. It's cool. I kind of like, I feel like the the feel of the album is that, yeah, like they recorded it in a barn. They could be playing this whole album in a barn. It wouldn't be that weird. They would just be doing it really, really well. I like that feel of this song and the chorus is also really good. I just think it's a little cheesy for me. Ugh, I love the cheese. I think that's a good criticism, though. But you would agree that it's a cheesy song. I wouldn't agree it's a cheesy song, but even if it is cheesy, like, this is exactly the kind of cheese I want it. I want it on a <laughs> plate surrounded by, like, Ritz crackers and maybe, like, mm. some deer sausage. Mm-hmm. Chicken and a biscuit? You see, I think that I didn't mind the Decembrists being cheesy on their early albums, because the lyrics were interesting. But this is another kind of like very broad song. Yeah, I mean, it's it's broad to the point of maybe even appealing to people who aren't Decembrist fans, which mm. like is is, you know, should be a turnoff for me, but for whatever reason it works. Like this this song could play on a country station. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Or you but. could hear this song like in a, a country western bar in Nashville. Yeah. yeah. I think so. I think it, it also helps that, I mean, not not on this album, but I think uh, when they tour, you know, Sarah Watkins was their violin player for a long time, and I'm a huge Sarah Watkins fan. So, like, it was cool hearing her, like, just tear the song up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's it's a fine song. It's just, to me, it's it's a little cheese ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's I feel like it's such a departure and such a... I guess not such a departure, but it's a big enough dive into country in the context of an album that otherwise, 
uh, feels pretty singular to me. Well, it's a, like, it's a it's a rock album according to the Grammys. So. Yeah, exactly. And then suddenly you have this honky tonk country thrown in, and it is. I do think that it is cheesy. I think that that's a good word for it, Pete. That it does feel like almost like a parody. Yeah. Kind of. Your barn dance line was spot on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still. I don't know, maybe it's like a little tongue-in-cheek, maybe it's just them, like, having fun, like, let's write a fucking honky-tonk song, like, cool. And I think that I am with Matt, like, I think it does, I think it works, and I think it's a good song. Uh, There is the line that I have been thinking about a lot for the last 24 hours, because it makes no sense to me, where they say, the culvert has all run dry from keeping shotgun shy, all eyes. Like, drawing a direct relationship between these two things, and I cannot, for the damn life of me, figure out what the relationship is. Yeah. They're just, like, throwing country-western concepts. Just (laughs) throwing them out there. Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, my image of where they're playing this is the country-western bar in Blues Brothers. Mm -hmm. And is Chris Funk dressed as the Tamarack? Uh, Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I guess the more you guys talk about it, the more I'm, I, I can get I can get into it. Um, it just depends on my mood. Yeah, I mean, definitely not a song that I'm putting on my intro to the Decemberists playlist. <laughs> this is weirdly one I would put on it, just like, just like as a weirdo one. Well, Big I guess one of ball. your favorite December songs is Angel Won't You Call Me, Yeah, which is another kind of like straight-up country-western kind of song. Yeah, I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's showing my love for alt-country. All right. Well, next up, we have track eight, June Hymn. Here's a hymn to welcome in the day. Another super pretty song that I just love. Yeah. Yeah. It's super good. It's, you know, I, I mean this sort of as a compliment uh but it, it just seems like the kind of song uh that you could put uh under a wedding video like <laughs> it's it's got the totally. sort of like you know, uh, it's it's nice it's pleasant and it's generic enough that like this is totally a montage song yeah, actually like, <laughs> i uh full disclosure I, I did not even register with me until uh Matt, you said that I I played this at a friend's wedding. Mm, wow. I was like tasked with playing this at a friend's wedding. Yep. Which I mean, not that's not bad. Like there's a no. I mean, it was a, a bunch great of songs selection. Like it fit the it fit the day very very well. Yeah. Is Springville Hill a real place? It. I don't know. It seems pretty generic. Yeah. Almost kind of kind of annoyingly generic yet again. Um, I specifically remember a Decemberist show. Colin coming out for the encore and playing this song, and then uh, the drummer John came out just to do the backing vocal melody, um, and it was really pretty. Yeah. I would like. There's just really tight harmonies all over this album, and like, the, I mean, the the Decemberist you know harmony game is always on point, but like, I just feel in particular this album has some great, uh, great harmony work. We we got a very Colin Malloy kind of word though here with uh. You were waking, the day was breaking, a panoply of song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a hear- couple there's a couple in this 
uh, a barony of ivy in the trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thrush's bleeding battle of the wrens disrupts my reverie again. So yeah. I think that's maybe why I like the song is that this is he, he he's he's going a little bit back to his like you know ten dollar word lyric yeah. style. Yeah, barony of ivy in the trees expanding out its empire by degrees, and the branches burst to bloom into bloom. Heaven sent this cardinal maroon to decorate our living room. Like, that that's just him describing a tree in nature, which, like, has been done to death. But he, like, he goes out of his way to make it as, like, you know, English major as he can. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I appreciate. Yeah, no, I think it works. There's a line that you just mentioned that uh, is transcribed differently in the liner notes of the album uh, in a way that very much stuck out to me. Uh, He says, all the branches burst to bloom in the boom, like B-O-O-M. Huh. Um, And I don't know if that's like something to really look into too much. Um, yeah, but I, I did think that, that that was interesting um, in an album that has like you know a good amount of like restart from catastrophe imagery and just straight up catastrophe imagery. Uh, the idea of this this kind of moment taking place where he's singing a song to this person. And this really beautiful scene, all of that happening, like within the context of the maybe turmoil that exists on the rest of the album, is kind of a. I kind of liked that feeling that I got when I read the line that they had written in the liner notes. If you guys had to pick a favorite hymn, would you pick January or June? Ooh. January for me. Probably January, but I do another. Uh, kind of gut punch melody and lyric is the bridge for June hymn, the years from now when this old light isn't ambling anymore. Mm. That makes it a tough call for me. I think I would pick June just because I really love the melodies and harmonies in June. Like, I also, June is also my birthday month, so... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right, you guys, we only have two more tracks here. We still haven't gotten to the ones that Matt explicitly did not like, so I'm very uh, interested to see which I'm of the thinking two. it's the next track. This is why we fight. You are correct. <laughs> Talk like, about honest- treacly. <laughs> this... This song is just like, I don't, I mean, one, it reminds me of When the War Came because it starts off in a way that, like, annoys me. Like, that, those are the things that, like, it doesn't matter what happens at the end of the song. I just hate how the song starts. Mm. And I actually kind of like the end of the song. Like, I think there's some, like, like, there's a really cool breakdown at the end, but I just can't get over how annoyed I am by the opening, just like the opening, like, harmonica blast. The come to me, come to me now, or is that the end part you're talking about? Yeah, Yeah. yeah. super, super cool. Yeah, Uh, that part's great. What don't you, is it the harmonica mainly that you don't like about the beginning? Yeah, the harmonica just like coming in, coming in pretty hot Mm -hmm. and just, I don't know, like that sort of uh, rising 
bass guitar line. Just, I don't know. I don't know what it is that just rubs me the wrong way. Sounds like part- the beginning of like an action scene in a Western. <laughs> it does. There's a little bit of that. To me, this, this song almost doesn't feel like it fits very well on the album. I think uh, that's, a, yeah. It's a little rockier. Um, I know that there's like some of that folk instrumentation on it, but uh, yeah, to me, like I think it's pretty good, but like it just doesn't really fit the vibe on the album to me, especially coming after June hymn. Yeah, I mean, batting batting uh, as as your sort of second to last track, like traditionally, you know, this is this is where like your your kind of like showstopper goes for a December's album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lyrically, there's nothing going on at all. <laughs> it's very broad. Like, it's I about don't war. Wanna, yeah, like, I don't want to criticize a song for, like, work that I'm not willing to do, but, like, the verses are just listing things that we all know are bad. And there's a slight <laughs> tilt when we get to the second verse, and he's talking about the bride of quiet, the bride of all unquiet things. And I think that that made me stop a little but i thought about it for a little while and nothing it didn't really seem like he was still saying anything so i kind of moved on and i it's just a terribly boring lyrical song and this is easily my least favorite track on the album this song kind of sounds like it could be a smith song like i could hear morrissey singing this mm, yeah they're like this is why why we fight <laughs> That's, oh, that's my really Morrissey. Morrissey. Thank that's, you. Yeah, that's good. That's very good. Have you been practicing that? Or, I mean, that... I actually am Morrissey. No. So way. stop eating meat, you fucking terrible yeah. person. That's crazy. It's a good militant vegan impression. Uh, there is uh, also a music video for this song, which is this weird video of these like post-apocalyptic children fighting each other. Okay. Have you guys seen this? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like a music video that obviously someone put a lot of work into, but I kind of am like, why? Yeah, of all the songs in the album, like, why is this one that gets the push? I mean, I guess it, it's catchy and it's very easily memorable because there are 25 words in the whole song. <laughs> but, yeah, I also don't understand. I feel like either of the hymns would have been, like, honestly obvious choices for... Because I think that they're equally catchy and equally accessible, but there's more happening. Have there has there ever been like a a slow like uh, a music video for one of like these slow, more contemplative December songs? I don't. I think it tends to be the rocky, poppy ones okay. that get videos. I would love to see like a you know a, like '90s R&B style video for January Hymn, where it's just like Colin in like white flowing clothes and Ooh, doves yeah. flying. I think that would be a good direction to go with it. So kind of so, like the the Ricky Gervais music right, video exactly. from from The Office. Right. Yeah. I don't know why that type of video ever went out of style. I mean, because yeah. as far as I'm concerned, it didn't. Because what what better way to like convey emotion? Yeah. And just like soft focus, soft lighting, mm-hmm. and you know, flowy white clothes. Yeah. So I was kind of hoping that when I would go back and re-listen to the Decemberist albums that I was lukewarm on, that it, like I would have a change of heart. But I, I'm not with this one. So you were you're lukewarm on this one? On the album in general, like I think it's I'll listen to it all the time, but like it just it doesn't stick with me 
Well, we've got one more song, I guess. Yeah, let's. And let's I will say, that. the yeah. album closer, Dear Avery, is one of my favorites on the album. like ballad to end it all like it seems seems like a good decision for the album like a fitting with the motif decision for the album the melodies on this song are so pretty uh you know it, it reminds me and normally this would be i would use this as an insult but uh not in this case it reminds me of a fleetwood mac song okay. like it just has that kind of vibe to it and and normally that's a turnoff for me, but actually I think it works really well in this one. This is this is definitely an album highlight for me. It's a good one. Yeah, and I think it, like, something about the second chord in, like, each phrasing of the verse, I don't know enough about musical theory to be able to explain it any better than, like, starts with the first chord, which is the major chord, and then it goes to that kind of weird, uh, the weird-sounding one, um, when he says, like, nape of your neck. And I think that it gives, like, a little mystery to the song, gives a little intrigue to it. Well, so in an interview, Colin said that this song is meant to be, uh, like, a mother writing a letter to her son who's, like, at war. Like, huh. to, a, a, to a soldier. Dear Avery, come home. Talking about, like, thinking of you and missing you and, like, how hard things are. So just come home. Like it's that's such a it's a pretty thing. Yeah. 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 It does seem like it's a really good example of like pushing up against the like limitations of love and affection and that you know, other things get in the way of of that. I'm always I'm always shocked when I get to this track and then the album's over because it's just like it just the thing about this album is it just it goes down smooth like honestly like it's a very i said it before but it's a very pleasant album like it's just there's not a lot on this album that rubs me the wrong way yeah yeah i would agree um what would you guys say are your your top track and your bottom track on this album uh, i feel like i've been pretty vocal about it but <laughs> just to reiterate all arise is my number one and this is why we fight is is the is the bottom I would put Don't Carry It All as my number one. I still listen to that song pretty routinely. It makes a lot of playlists still. Um, yeah, This Is Why We Fight is definitely on the bottom. So for me, I think thinking back on this album, I would have said that the two hymns are my favorite songs on the album. But I think that recently re-listening to it, Dear Avery is my favorite song on the album. Mm. Um, I mean, it's a solid choice. But I think my bottom one, I'll, I'll go with you guys and say this is why we fight. Get it were, out of there. You were thinking Get it all out. rise, though. You I wasn't. I was not. There's no <laughs> way I was thinking there. that. You know, but I remember at the time, like, and I like this album. I liked it at the time. And just, like, in the context of, like, you know, a podcast about the Decemberists, like, this is this might come off as my least favorite album by them. But, like, honestly, I like this album a lot. And I still listen to it. And at the time, I loved it. Um, but just like, it doesn't feel enough like a Decemberist album to like, but wouldn't you say that no work of theirs 
after the Hazards of Love really sounds and feels like the Decemberists that we got into. I would not agree with that. Really? No. I feel like this is the beginning of them becoming a little bit more bland. Uh, I think what's interesting about this album is, you know, it's it's such a departure for them. I feel like, I don't know if they thought of it as a course correction, but it's easy to see it in that light. Um, it's It's easy to see that this is an album of them, like, sort of shedding they're sort of, uh, you know, they're sort of more ambitious and more like out there kind of tendencies. But it's it's also interesting in the context, knowing that, you know, they went on hiatus for like four years after this album. So they like, did this. This was like this. I mean, could have been their last album, you know, because I don't I mean, I don't think they were ever like, we're going to go away and never come back. But some some bands do that. Some bands like, you know, it's take a break and then just decide never to come back or like not to come back for years later. So this very well could have been their sort of swan song. And I think it's after this that Colin like writes some books. Right. Yeah. And like starts doing other things that are like maybe more like fueling him creatively. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you will probably cover it in the next episode, but like really like this, this at this point in their career, they had been the Decemberists you know, full time for, I think like 10 years, right? Yeah. Well, and so they hadn't taken a break really. Mm-mm. So, um, and they had put out an album almost every year, you know, for a while or like every other year, you know, so they, they were a pretty prolific band. So I don't whether or not they knew it at the time going or this album sort of has the appearance of, of a palate cleanser, I guess, for the Decemberists. It does seem, kind of going back to what we were saying at the beginning, I read a handful of reviews of the album, and that's what every single one of them said, was the first two paragraphs were always just like shitting on the hazards of love, and then the next three paragraphs were the writer being like, yeah, and the king is dead is pretty good. Yep. And then that was it. Every every publication gave them like a 7 out of 10. Well, so AJ, you don't know this. But our, our regular segment on the show after discussing the album is reading from the Pitchfork review of the album. Oh, hell yeah. It's, uh, it's a segment called, does Pitchfork still like the Decemberists? <laughs> and Pete has to try to guess the, the rating that Pitchfork gave the album. Ooh, okay. So let's see. Hazard's got a five something. And they probably liked this better than Hazard's. But this is not the kind of album Pitchfork would give an amazing review to. So I'm going to say they gave this album a 6.8. They actually liked it more than that. Um, so they gave it a 7.2. Um, okay. And I think like the, the, the general critical evaluation of this album is it's a solid B. Like I don't think anyone was like, this is their best work. But, you know, I think it's sort of... It's, it's very appealing and very inoffensive and i think it's an easy album to give a b to um with do you think that's how the decemberists would grade the album you know i don't know i don't know how they feel about this album that would be that would be definitely something i would want to ask uh i'd ask the band if they were ever on the show uh god forbid but i think that's (laughs) that's like i think the 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 boring question is you know do you hate Hazards of Love, like everyone else seems to. I think the more interesting one is how do they feel about this album? Right. Like, do you think they went in there like, wow, this is amazing. This is the best we've ever done. Um, 
So do you have any tasty tidbits from the interview or from the review? The review was fairly nice, but you know, AJ was spot on. It was basically two paragraphs of shitting on, on hazards and then, you know, sort of tepid response, tepid, mostly positive response to the album. Um, but uh, you know, the most interesting quote, um, for all its rural pedigrees, the King is dead is still a clean and meticulously crafted album. The production is smooth and the performances are unnervingly error free. Consequently, it's missing a little vulnerability. The best Americana records tend to feel a little lawless, but the Decemberists just can't quite relinquish control. Mm, it's a little too uptight for them. A little, a little too clean. A little too, you know, the the Decemberists are, are consummate professionals uh, when it comes to playing music. And I really like that about the album. I like how, like, kind of tidy and symmetrical it is. Uh and it do, I don't think it feels robotic, but yeah, I don't I don't know that that is a problem with the album, I guess. So, what score would you guys give the album on a ten point scale? Seven five or eight, probably. I mean, it's I don't know. To me, it's a B. It's a it's a solid B. I would say like a seven point oh. Mm. Like it's a fine album, that is good, but it's not necessarily notable. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good rundown. I'd probably give it a 7.5. I think it's really good. I think it is, like you guys said, inoffensive in a way that isn't uh, like a pejorative against the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it, I don't know, it makes me think of like a, like a really good summer album. Like, you're not yeah. paying super close attention to it. You're just kind of, like, singing along to it as you drive home from work. But if they'd had one song in here about a widow getting raped by a ghost pirate, I think <laughs> it would have been a lot more like a Decemberist album. Right. Or if they had a song that was over five minutes. Well, I guess yeah. one's, like, 5.30, but yeah. There's no, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no child murder. There's no rape. There's no ghosts. I mean, like, what, what, what have they become? Right. Yeah. No yeah. horrific elements. No. Wizards. No. It's like they stopped playing D and D and started farming. No, I don't. I don't want to get uh, outside of the boundaries we have we have set for this specific episode. But we're in free. We're in free form mode now. Yeah. Okay. In response to what you just said, Pete, you two would know better than I. Do any of those more fantastical elements kind of come back in later albums? Not uh, really. Or are they pretty much sort dead of. after Hazards? I think that their original shtick is pretty much gone at this point. Okay. I, I would disagree with that slightly, but I mean, I will, I will say this. It never comes back in an as effective a way as it is in their previous incarnation. Or their okay. previous outings, I would say. I think there's diminishing returns to returning to the fantasy well. But yeah. Well, AJ, thank you so much for uh, for being on the show. It was yeah. It was a delight. Thank you for inviting me. This is fun. Uh, so Matt, looks like our next episode will be about the B-sides from this album, Long Live the King. Yeah, I, I, I was going to propose this off air, but I'm going to go ahead and say it on the episode and cut it out if it doesn't happen. But I think the next episode will probably be the B-sides and then the live album. 
duet. Oh, you want to listen to the live album? That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's not enough new stuff on the live album, but I think there's there's plenty of stuff to talk about on it. All right, all right. So it'll be nice to sort of uh, make a little sandwich of of the uh, Long Live the King. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, so it's kind of the, well, we'll get to it next episode. It's your turn to do a send-off. Okay, well, uh, first I'm going to plug our Twitter. Because I, uh, you know, I tweet. How many followers do you have? How many? How many followers you got? You know, let me check. Let me check, Mister Smart. Uh, I've kind of given up on Twitter, like from a personal standpoint. But as as a as an aside, That's it's just probably awful. An emotionally healthy decision for you to make. There's just nothing good. There's just nothing good there. Uh, let's see. We have. Oh, I'm. I can't even find the button for it. We have two followers. Thank you very much. Uh, is which one is of me. Them, so one we have one. Me. But one's a complete stranger. Let's, never, let's give I a shout out to that follower. Hey, uh, Spencer Gray. Uh, thanks for following us. Spencer, like thank cool you guy. so much. Yeah. I think you're a trendsetter. I think you're an early adopter of something that's pretty amazing uh, that people just don't know about yet. And I think once they realize that you're a tastemaker, I think they're going to they're gonna just jump on board the the at podcast both train spencer send us your address and we'll, we'll, we'll send you a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, not one for the show because we don't have one but i'll just i'll send you one of my t-shirts a t-shirt that he <laughs> yeah. Owns. yeah yeah so until until next time uh don't carry it all you know let someone else help that's pretty good how was that yeah it was solid i mean in the in the, in the curve of terrible send-off lines it's we've we've had far worse all right see you guys uh bye cool thanks y'all see ya